Good day. Good, good. I appreciate uh, the, the worship this morning and the testimony. I, I want to point out in case this just flew by anybody, but what you guys communicated through your testimony this morning is that you have, you have heard what God has been speaking, and not only that, but you applied it to your life in, in, in obedience to wait until the Lord spoke. And so I really appreciate that from all three of you ladies this morning. That was wonderful. Uh, as David just mentioned, this is uh, our last message in the book of Hebrews. I was looking yesterday. This is the 50th message out of the book of Hebrews, which is a little bit mind-boggling. But, you know, I was kind of reflecting uh, the last couple of days or week really kind of on this whole uh, series. And it's been really, really fun for me. I've really enjoyed it. I'm a little sad that it's over, but I'm also excited um, it, about what God has for us next. And I love that, that last song that we did this morning really um, kind of, for me, encapsulated what the Lord has been saying through this whole year and also kind of where He's leading us uh, in, in the future. And next week is, uh, I know I've mentioned this and I'll say it again at the end, but next week's Vision Sunday. So please um, mark that on your calendars. Be sure and be here. Um, I'm excited to share with you guys what the Lord's been speaking to me about our body and the direction uh, for the next uh, foreseeable future or next year or so. Um, and also get to hear from Bethany about what the Lord's been speaking to her about next-gen ministries, our ministries here uh, within our body, and then also in the community. So excited about that for next week. As we get started today, I want to, kind of like we always do, kind of take a moment to review what we discussed last week. Last week, we looked at verses 7 through 16 in Hebrews chapter 13. And in that section, the author is challenging the church to look back at those that had discipled them when the church was first started. Remember, they're, they're struggling with walking away from their faith in Jesus for the sake of being reaccepted back into their communities. Um, and he told them to be careful and to observe the outcome of those people's lives that had discipled them. Um, by carefully looking at their lives, they can see the results of those people's obedience, those that had discipled them. The, the implication here is that those people had already passed away, that they were gone. And so it was a way of looking back and remembering who those people were, but more specifically, looking at the characteristics of their lives, not so that we can duplicate that in our own lives, but so that it can serve as a source of inspiration so that we can look at what made those, their lives that way and to replicate that, the way of living, the way of abiding in Christ. Um, we talked about the difference between dead religion and an active relationship with God. And I shared with you that, and this was key for me last week, is that if you're doing anything for God that wasn't initiated by God, then we would classify that as dead religion. It's you just trying to do something to please God. Uh, and that's not something that he necessarily has called you to do. There's a temptation for the churches in Rome to return back to the old traditions, the old festivals, in an effort to commune with their families and, and then also kind of vicariously to commune with God. And the problem with that is, is that all of those old traditions and all of those festivals were pointing forward to the Messiah, to the person that Jesus was. And so by going backwards, it negates all the things that Jesus does in their lives. It says that Jesus isn't good enough for me. I'm going to go back and celebrate these things that are pointing towards a, a Messiah when the Messiah was already there. The religious activity and the relationship with God we talked about last week are not the same things. That we can be busy doing stuff for God, but not actually be participating in what God's doing. We can be doing things for God, but not knowing Him personally. Um, we identified last year or last week um, 
what has motivated genera- generations of people into religious activity. And, it's the, and that motivation for so many people has been a desire to please God. If you ask somebody who's busy doing stuff for God and you say, why are you doing these things? They're going to say, I want God to be happy with me. I want him to look at my life and say that I've done a good job. We, we all are familiar with that, that passage that Jesus, where he talks about when we stand before God, he want, we want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? That's what we want. That's our desire. The problem is, is that we try to come up with those activities on our own or we copy the things that other churches are doing or other people are doing in hopes that if God is happy with them, then he'll also be happy with us. The problem with all of that is that it's us trying to do something for God. When God's desire is not for us to do stuff for him, his desire is to be in relationship with us. And in doing so, we're joining God in what he's doing instead of doing something on our own and then asking God to participate with us. You see the difference between the two? Imagine that in a dating relationship that, you're, that you, wanna, you find this person and you want to date them. And so instead of building a relationship, you just do a lot of stuff for them. It's not going to work out. They might feel a little bit of love by that, but they're going to think that your intention is, is just simply to do stuff rather than being in a relationship with them. God's desire is not for us to be busy. His desire is to be in a relationship with Him, and we do that by abiding in Him. And then as we learn to abide, it becomes a natural part of who we are. When we first become believers, we first start talking about abiding. That seems like a very unnatural thing. That's what these ladies described this morning is asking God, am I the person that is supposed to be doing the books? And then waiting for God to speak that. And when He begins to speak, and we're not quite sure continuing to ask until we are sure. I appreciate that testimony this morning, Colleen. And then also Debbie waiting until God spoke before she made a move. Because if she just stepped out and said, I can and I will, then Colleen wouldn't have had the opportunity to be obedient to God. And so it's more about us learning to abide, to join God in what he's doing, to wait and to listen and to be in a relationship with him. That's our goal. That's our goal as a church is to know God by experience as we abide with him daily. Whether you've been visiting for a long time or, or, you're this is, or, or you've just come in for the first time today, or if you've been a member since the beginning of TGV West, you know that the message has not changed. Our desire, our goal as a church is to know Jesus personally by experience, and we do that through abiding. Today, as we kind of finish up this study, it's going to set us up for what God has in store for us next, and we'll talk about that more in detail next week, but I want all of you to be aware that just because we're finishing this study doesn't mean that we're done telling our stories. This story time that we do every Sunday, we're going to continue to do that because it's such a blessing to the body to hear about the things that God's doing in one another's lives. Today, um, as we dive in, let's, let's read this um, next section, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19, and then we'll kind of dive in and see what the Lord has for us. So if you want to open up your Bibles or you can read on the screen or open up your app and look at the Faith Life app, um, there's an outline in there as well if that will help you follow along. So let's read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for, what, uh, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. I want to point out before I make this first point this morning that last week there was some wordage that was very similar. And we talked about last week when he was talking about remembering those that had had discipled you 
that the, the verbiage there was, re, was specifically referencing some that had come before in the founding of the church. And that's very different than what we are seeing today. So point number one today is listen to your elders. Okay, And I want to be real honest with you. I was telling Carrie this yesterday morning. This first point makes me feel a little bit icky. Okay, Because I don't feel like it's my right to say, listen, or, or to say it the way the scripture does, obey and submit to me. Okay, can you understand how that makes me feel a little bit like, ugh. And so I very purposely today have pointed this not just to me, but to our elders. One of the things that I love about our church is that we are elder-led. Um, the reason it makes me feel icky, and I just want to say this, I want to kind of talk through this this morning so we're all on the same page. Throughout history, we see so many examples of pastors taking advantage of people and citing passages like this one to justify the control that they want to have in someone's life. And it wouldn't take us very long to come up with a pretty extensive list of men who have purposely led people for personal gain. And that's why I, I'm, I was, when I, I, and I purposely put this message off, this portion of the scripture off until today so I could kind of address this in its, in its own entity. Knowing all of that, I want to be careful about how I communicate this point. In most cases uh, of pastors abusing power, there's nobody in that church that uh, has the authority to challenge that pastor. That's not the case in TGP churches. We're elder-led, uh, as we see in the early church in the New Testament. And one of the many benefits of that model is that the pastor doesn't have the final say. I was explaining to somebody yesterday um, that I am not the only elder here, that we have Ben and Carrie as well. And they are my elders as well. And I don't know if you think about that very often. But it's not like I'm the pastor and they're the elders. We're here. And so just like Carrie and Ben are your elders, they're also my elders. And I view them that way. And so as a group, we pray and we seek God before making a decision. And we come to a consensus before we move forward. If there's not a consensus among the elders, then we just wait. We wait for clarification, just like you guys uh, described this morning in your own lives. The church as a whole can find comfort in knowing that the elders were not appointed by a select few. It wasn't a popularity contest. We as a church all prayed over those elders and affirmed together that, that we are to be the guys that are leading this body. And, and that's significant because it's not just me or a select few of people who are making all the decisions. God has put us in this role. And to date, those, those affirmations have all been unanimous, which I think speaks to what God's trying to accomplish in our body. I felt it important to kind of walk through that this morning as we consider what the author of Hebrews is telling the churches to do. Look at verse 17 with me again. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. God has placed elders in our churches to guide and to teach the members in matters of faith and spirituality. It's our job to lead you in correct theology and the application of that theology into your daily lives. As we teach, the goal is that we would all become more like Christ as we learn to abide in Him. And I can say with 100% confidence that that's our only goal. There is no other hidden agenda here. That's, all, that's the direction that God has given us as churches is to teach people to have their own relationship with Him. And that also guards against one person trying to take control and do something on their own because we're all pursuing God together. I want to I share a story with you. Yesterday morning, uh, I was thinking about this as, uh, as I went for a run. Carrie, um, one of our elders, invited myself and, and Andy, a mutual friend of ours, to go run. Uh, it's called the Glen Emery Trail. It's a, about a two-mile trail out near where I live. And so you run two miles in and two miles back out. 
And as you guys know, um, or may not know, I, you probably all know, but Carrie was a CrossFit coach, right, for years. I don't, how many years were you a CrossFit coach for? Ten years, okay. So he's had ten years of training people on how to exercise properly. So I pull up, and Andy and, and Carrie are already there, and I get out, and Carrie, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like, oh, you look like a runner. He was poking fun at me because I had all the garb on, man. I was, I was decked out. I had all the stuff, Okay. And so as we're kind of, everybody's getting all their gear on and all that, Carrie makes a comment about how many layers he should wear so that it's not too cold when it gets started, but not too hot when we get done, because it was just above freezing whenever we got ready to get going. And, and I'll be honest, I kind of looked at myself and I had like layers upon layers. I had a base layer on, I had wind pants on, I had a base layer, a t-shirt, a hoodie, a neck gaiter, and a windbreaker on top of that, and a hat. And I was like, no, man, I've run in the cold before, I'm ready to go. That was a mistake. That's mistake number one for the morning, okay? Right before we began, Carrie and Andy were also discussing the pace that we were going to run because it's a trail run. There's a lot of hills and, and um, just stuff around. And Carrie's suggestion was that we just run at the pace that we're comfortable at. But I'm way too competitive for that, mistake number two, okay? So we, we take out on the run, and I'm right behind Carrie. And so I was able to keep up with him for about the first mile and a half. And then I really began to get winded and just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up anymore. And I had to slow down. And so Carrie gets to the, to the turnaround point before I do. And so I get there and he waits for me and immediately I'm taking layers off, man. I'm just, I'm sweating and colder than when I started because I'm so wet. And so we, Andy, Andy gets there and we kind of all grab a breather for a minute. And uh, after we call our breath, we headed back down the trail to go back to where we parked to. And this time I'm like, okay, I've kind of learned my lesson. I'm not going to try to, I'm going to, Andy looks like he's going to be a little bit more in my speed. And so here we, here we go again. And so Andy and I are kind of back and forth trading places because here's what would happen is off through the trees, because it's kind of clear out there, you could see Carrie in his blue, blue shirt kind of bobbing between the trees. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to catch him. And so I would, I would take off and I'd pick my pace up and it's hilly. And then I would get really tired and winded and I have to slow down and walk again. And then Andy would pass me. I'm like, dang it, okay, all right. And so I'd pick up my pace again, and I'd pass Andy, and I'm looking for Carrie, and I see his blue shirt way off in the distance, and i pick up my pace again, and then I would get winded again. i have to slow down and walk, and then Andy would pass me again. And the more I did that, the tireder I got, and as I'm looking for Carrie off in the distance, because I'm looking that way and not looking down where I'm running, I started tripping on roots, and I rolled both ankles in the course of about a mile, and I ended up having to just walk back about the last half a mile and get back, and Carrie's like, you all right, man? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. He even texted me later that day to make sure that I was okay, and I was, and I am. Um, you know, you'd think I would have learned my lesson pretty quickly about not trying to keep pace with Carrie, but I didn't. I wanted, to, I wanted to be right, okay? And I'm sharing this morning, this, this story with you this morning as an example of what not to do, okay? Don't be like me. I had a guy who coaches for a living give me two valuable pieces of advice before we ever started, and I ignored both of them. And the results of those decisions ended in my own discomfort. About the last half mile, I was talking to God about today's message. I'm thinking about the message and how I'm going to present all of this. And then God was like, hey, let me give you a classic example of yourself right here like oh okay so we got back to the truck and I was like man God wrote about half the message just now on that last mile back God had put a person in my life who was more than qualified to lead me and I ignored his input because of my own pride because of my own desires Carrie's intention was not to hold me back but to set me up for as much success as possible he gave me solid advice that he's learned over his career and I disregarded it because I thought I knew better as we look at this first verse in our passage today, I want us to see the parallel in those things. God has placed elders in our lives 
so that they can guide us. As a side note, as I shared a while ago, Ben and Carrie are my elders as well. So as I'm saying this, I want you to realize that I am asking myself to see them in the same way I'm asking you to see us. I want us to all have the confidence that when it comes to matters of church life, spiritual life, or just life life, that our commitment as elders is to join you in seeking God's direction. We don't have all the answers, but we do have some past experiences that we can share as God leads us to do that. But more importantly, our, des- our desire is not to be good advice givers, but to see all of you experience God for yourself in your own life. And as you experience God for yourself, you learn about who He is and His desire to know you personally. That's far better than any advice that we could ever give. In the second half of that verse 17, the author says that we should obey and submit with joy, not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Yesterday, my, my ignoring of Carrie's advice was unprofitable for me. The run would have been much better if I had just listened to him. Thank, thankfully for me, there have been very few times in my eldership that I've had to deal with someone who was causing grief. However, I do know that all of us have a tendency to want to do life on our own. We're not naturally followers, right? We, you, know, you ever been around a toddler and when they say that classic phrase of, I'll do it myself, right? We all are born that way. It's not our tendency to want to follow other people, but God has us in this setting for that reason. God is constantly challenging me, and as I learn, I pass those challenges along to you guys as God leads me to. It's at those times that all of us have to decide how we're going to respond. Are we going to receive that, that direction with joy, or are we going to cause grief? If you've never worked on a church staff before, let me tell you, it can be quite challenging at times. It has not been challenging here, except for a few occasions, and I'm not going to point any fingers or say any names, okay? Just protect the innocent and myself, all right? Um, but through some conversations this week, I was reminded of some past leadership roles that I've had at other churches and how difficult some people were to deal with. And, and I'm, me, as I'm saying that blanket statement, I was part of the problem, okay? But to call church leadership a cushy job is, is a disservice. Church life can often get messy. But it's my goal and that of our elders that we can walk together through the good and the bad in a way that glorifies God and teaches all of us something about who he is. Because of the difficulty that comes with that job, the author of Hebrews asked the church to pray for them. So point number two for today is pray for your elders. Look at verse 18 through 19. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Pray for us daily, please. If, you're el- if the elders are not on your daily prayer list, add us to it. This is both selfishly and unselfishly motivated, and I'll explain why. I want your prayers because I need God to be the one guiding me. I and the other elders, like everybody else, struggle with our flesh. Your prayers are to, be- are to our benefit and also to yours. We want to lead you as we are led by God, and we need the Holy Spirit's constant guidance in our lives to accomplish that goal. This is not a request for you to pray for us when you happen to think about it. This is a request for you to intentionally pray for us every day. In every church experience that I've had that didn't go well, it was because those that were in control were leading from their own wisdom and not seeking God. And we've all had experiences uh, in our own lives outside of abiding God. 
And we know the result of that kind of living. Pray for us that our desire to walk with God increases every day and that our inclination to lead from our own wisdom would decrease every day. I don't want my knee-jerk reaction to be, what does Will think is smart? I want my knee-jerk reaction to be, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? But that only happens through the Holy Spirit. And your prayers help in that significantly. I was thinking about this this morning. There's plenty of social clubs out there that have good leaders that are doing good things. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to know God by experience and then to share that with others so that they can have their own experiences with God. As we abide in Christ, He will lead us to the people and to the places that He is working and we'll be able to join Him in that work. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is that I might miss God and lead you in the wrong direction. So pray for me, pray for our other elders, that God would create in us more desire every day to know Him. Verse 19 is one of the reasons I mentioned last week that many scholars believe that uh, the author of Hebrews was in jail because he says, this is my request um, that you would pray for me that I may be restored to you soon. And the, the verb there should be understood as keep on praying. He, didn't, he wasn't saying pray for me just today that I'll be restored to you. He's saying keep on praying every day. Pray for me. The author tells us in verse 17 that as leaders, we're going to be held accountable to those that are under our leadership. And this should be a sobering thought for all of us in leadership, not just the elders, but also the staff. In James 3, uh, verse 1, this is a verse I'm sure we're all familiar with. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know we will receive a stricter judgment. God has placed a call on our life to watch over and to care for others. And when we stand before God, we will have to be accountable for how we lead. And that's a significant, that's a heavy weight that we carry. And we, we need your prayers. Pray for us as we endeavor to lead the church as God leads us. Over the past year, God's had a particular goal for us. While we've been learning what it looks like and feels like to, to be in a relationship with God, He's been working in our lives and in the lives of people around us. But the job is not done. It's not over. We're going to continue to share our stories. And this is point number three for today is that your story is worth sharing. I hope over the course of the, these last 50 messages over the last year that you've come to realize that your story is significant, not just to you, but to the people in your life. The author has spent a significant amount of time detailing the theology of being a Christ follower, showing that Jesus was who he said he was. That's been the purpose of this book, is to help these people who were tempted to walk away from their faith, to remind them of all the things that God has been doing since the beginning of time, to restore people back to himself. He took the time to show that in so many different ways, that there could be no doubt in the minds of the believers of where they stood, that Jesus is the Messiah. Over the last year, we've diligently walked through this book so that we could see ourselves in the proper perspective. We've come to see how God has been working from the beginning to restore our relationship to himself. The redemptive history of God's people is our redemptive story. The things that God is doing in our lives are our stories. They're our testimony. That could range from an impact uh, someone else's story had on your life to your salvation to hearing God speak in your life for the first time to seeing God doing miraculous things in your life. We all have a story to tell, and that story is never complete until we die. Each new day is an opportunity for God to work in our lives and an opportunity for us to share that work 
with the people that we're doing life with. As we abide in Christ, as we see Him work in our lives, we have stories, and those stories are worth sharing. They're stories of God redeeming us and drawing us to Himself. They are stories of God loving us when we thought we were unlovable. They are stories of God being right with us through pain and sorrow, through healing and through joy. You may look at your own life and feel like it has nothing of value to offer the world, and I would counter that with a resounding no, that your life does have something to offer. Your story has the power to introduce a broken world to a healing God. Your story. What God is doing in your life is significant, not just for you, but for everybody in you, everybody that you know. And God wants us to share those stories. At the end of this letter, we find a formal benediction. And that's, a benediction is not something that we use very often in Baptist churches, but they're a powerful way of closing up a service or a time of worship. And the author of Hebrews uses these last few words to bless and encourage the church as he closes out his message. And so today, to close us out, I'd like to read this over you as we begin um, to, to kind of wrap things up. So this morning as I read this, I want you to receive it as the blessing that the author of Hebrews intended it to be for the churches then as that God intends for it to be us today. And feel free to read along with me. It says, Now the may the God of peace, who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes to you soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all the leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for our time this year in studying your word and coming to, to understand what it means that you have redeemed us and that you have a story for us to share, a story of redemption in our own lives that's very personal. Father, as we move forward into this next season of church life, God, I ask that you would direct myself and the elders as we pursue you for direction and vision for the church. God, as we are thinking about our own lives and what the next year is going to look like, God, I ask that you would give each of us an opportunity to, to just sit and pause and to receive from you what you want that to look like. God, make that a priority in our lives. Father, as we leave from here today, as we, as we walk away from this study, Father, I ask that we would bring with us the knowledge that you love us dearly, that you want to know us personally, and you want the people in our lives to know you as well. Father, make that the desire of our heart every day is to share the beauty and the majesty of who you are with the people in our lives. Father, thank you for giving us a story that's worth sharing. Amen.